What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Relationship, that mindset brings many problems with it. That now, you know, I struggle in my relationship with God. I struggle, you know, in my spiritual growth. I struggle in living for God and, and doing what He's ultimately called me to do. But on the other side of that, if I have a confidence that, you know what, I'm loved. And whether or not I perform, whether or not I'm always obedient, whether or not I fail or succeed, that I'm loved and I'm accepted, not because of my performance, but because I put my belief in the performance of Jesus on my behalf, that he has done all the work and I accept that. And it's because of that that God loves me. It's because of that that God accepts me. And so it's not a performance base anymore. And that has huge ramifications of blessing to my relationship with the Lord, has huge benefits to my spiritual growth, and it has huge benefits in my success in living my life for Jesus. And so I share this because as we come to John chapter 10, we're going to hear something from Jesus that you know is such a, a great thing for us to be able to kind of wrap our heads around. And I just want to pose a question. What kind of assurance and security do you have? You know, when, when you look at your relationship with God, you know, how would you define the assurance and security that you have? Does God love and accept you no matter what? You know, and your answer to that question is really going to be based off of two main things. It's either going to be based off your performance, that God loves and accepts me because I perform, and then you're going to kind of have this roller coaster relationship with God where you have the ups and the downs, where he accepts you one day and he doesn't the other. Or it's going to be based off of your relationship and trust in Jesus Christ, that you put your trust in him, and that is the basis for why God loves you. That is the basis for why God accepts you. You know, in my Christian life, I've kind of been in both of those camps. You know, early on in my Christian life, I definitely kind of thought and and related to God based on performance. Felt like, you know what, He, he loves me, He accepts me if I do the right things and if I avoid the wrong things. But when I fail to do the right things or I engage in the wrong things, now all of a sudden, you know, God doesn't love me, God doesn't accept me. And I had that until, you know, I started to study the Bible for myself and, and just mature a bit and come to the place to realize uh, we're going to see this morning in one of the verses, there are many in Scripture that just shows that's not the case. You know, my relationship isn't based on me and my performance. It's based on what Jesus has done for me and my willingness to accept that and have a relationship with God based off of that. And it's a wonderful promise. And I, I just, uh, it's one of the, my favorite passages, you know, in Scripture that we're going to look at. Some of the things that we're going to see here are just things that are very encouraging. It's an assurance and a security that we have in not only our relationship with God, but also the promise of God for our eternity. And so as we look through this, I hope that especially if you, like I once did, really struggled with that kind of security and assurance 
in your love or God's love for you in that relationship that you have. I hope these verses bring uh, encouragement and peace to you this morning. Well, in John chapter 10 so far, we've noticed that, you know, he's been contrasting himself as the good shepherd and what the good shepherd does for those sheep that put their trust in him versus the religious leaders who are the bad shepherds and what they do towards the sheep, basically the nation of Israel that has been following them. Now, as we continue this morning, we're going to see that Jesus continues sharing some thoughts about himself being this good shepherd and some wonderful things that the good shepherd does for his sheep. And so let's see how we can be encouraged by what Jesus shares with us. Continuing in John chapter 10, verse 22 says this. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us Plainly. Now, something important to note here is that there is a three-month gap between verses 21 and verse 22. And as I've mentioned before, chapter and verse breaks in the Bible. They're not inspired. You know, man just put them there so we can kind of get to places in Scripture quite easily. And so we come to verse 21 and we have this conclusion of everything that transpired from chapter 7 on, which took place during the Feast of Tabernacles. So as we started chapter 7, and then 8, and then 9, and then the first 21 verses of 10, it was all under the Feast of Tabernacle heading. That's when this was all transpiring. That's when all these conversations took place. But now as we come to chapter, or verse 22, notice that we're told it's now the Feast of Dedication. Well, the Feast of Dedication took place three months after the Feast of Tabernacles, which gives us the clear clue that it's three months that has transpired between these two verses. Now, the Feast of Dedication, it took place in December. Uh, It's more commonly referred to uh, a name that I'm sure you're familiar with, Hanukkah. Uh, It's the same feast. It's just most Jews today refer to it as Hanukkah as opposed to the Feast of Dedication. It's celebrating the cleansing and rededication of the temple by the Maccabees, uh, after it was desecrated by the king of Syria. And notice here that John tells us it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Now, that's kind of a very redundant statement. They always celebrated this feast in December. So it was always winter when this feast took place. So it wasn't like he needed to say, it'd be like saying, hey, we're celebrating Christmas, and it was winter. Yeah, every Christmas is winter. It's always in December. So it's kind of a a redundant statement until you realize that actually this Greek word translated winter could also be translated stormy or raining. Uh, And so within the context, it's probably more likely that John is saying, hey, it was a feast of dedications and it was raining out. You know, we don't need to be redundant and tell you it's in winter because we already know it's in winter. Uh, And so he's sharing this reality with us. And it kind of explains what John tells us in verse 23 And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Now, as you can see from this picture, Solomon's porch was on the west side of the temple mount. And it's covered, it has this roof covering, has these beautiful uh, tall pillars. And one of the things that was a blessing about this particular porch is in the wintertime, it would keep you dry from the rain. And in the summertime, it would give you shade from the sun. And so if John's telling us, hey, it's the Feast of Dedication, it's raining outside. And guess where Jesus is? He's walking under the place where it actually has a roof in Solomon's porch. And this is kind of the setting of where we now pick up 
this new conversation that Jesus is going to have with the religious leaders. Because in verse 24, Jesus is walking there under Solomon's porch. And notice what happens. We're told, then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, notice we're not told that Jesus is teaching, which is typically the time that the Jews had come up to him before in the midst of that. He's just kind of taking a stroll there in Solomon's porch, and they surround him. You know, and I picture it more kind of like this angry mob because we know they have you know, very you know, strong feelings of wanting to kill Jesus, and they, they come around him, they surround him, and they pose this question to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. What the religious leaders are saying is, hey, Jesus, we want to know whether or not you're the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, then just plainly come out and tell us that you're the Messiah. Now, I find this question quite interesting, because if you have been paying attention as we've gone through the Gospel of John so far, you will note that Jesus over and over again has made very clear who he is. He has shared these truths with the religious leaders. So the fact that they have this audacity to come and say, well, finally, just tell us plainly who you are. It's like, have you not been listening to what I've been saying? I mean, let's just think about some of the things that Jesus has already told them. He's already told them that he's the one who came from heaven. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. He's the unique son of God. He's going to judge all humanity. All should honor him just as they honor God the Father that all Scripture speaks of Him, that He perfectly reveals the Father, that He always pleased the Father, that He never sins, that He's the uniquely sent from God. Remember when He said, before Abraham was, I am, using that title for God for Himself. He told them that He's the Son of Man prophesied in Daniel, that He's going to raise Himself from the dead, that He's the bread of life, that He's the light of the world, that He's the door, and that He's the good shepherd. And connected to all those things, it was clear that he was declaring himself to be God, to be the Messiah. And so this is kind of a crazy question to pose. It's like, have you guys not been listening? I've been telling you who I am over and over and over again. And that's just the Gospel of John. If we were to go to the other Gospels, we see that Jesus has declared it even more than what we've just looked at in the Gospel of John. And this is why Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name They bear witness of me. So the religious leaders are saying, hey, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah or not. And Jesus just responds, hey, I've already told you guys. Actually, I've told you many times, and you do not believe. You see, the problem with the religious leaders was not a lack of information. It wasn't like Jesus was being all cryptic and and he wasn't giving them what they needed to know about him. The fact was, he gave them all the information that they needed to know. It was very clear who he was based off of what he said about himself. So the problem wasn't lack of information. The problem was, and they just wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't accept what they had been told. That was their issue. They had hard hearts, and no matter what Jesus says, they're not going to accept it. He could go on and and re-explain all the things that he's already told them, but it's going to come on deaf ears and hard hearts because these guys aren't sincerely saying, hey, you know what, we're just really searching and we just need a little more information and if you could give that to us, then we believe in you. No, they they don't want to believe in him at all. They've had plenty of evidence, plenty of reason. Notice Jesus just says, hey, it's not just my words that back up who I am. It's not just my words that have declared that I am the Messiah. If that's all I had, well, granted, don't believe in me. But I have more than just my own testimony. 
Notice that he tells them as well that the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Hey, I've been bearing witness of myself for a while now. I've been telling you who I am. But you know what? Don't just look at it and listen to what I say. Look at what I do. Don't my miracles, don't the miraculous works that I have done and just did recently with healing this blind man, you know, doesn't that clearly tell you who I am? Only God can do that. Only the Messiah could do that. So that is something that clearly shows I am who I claim to be. So Jesus responds by telling the religious leaders two reasons why they should have known and should have believed that he is the Messiah. First is because he told them many times, and second is because of the many miraculous works that he did to prove that he's the Messiah. Well, now Jesus is going to reveal to them plainly, they wanted plain speech, he's going to give them plain speech, why they don't believe in him. Notice what he says in verse 26 and 27. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. You want plain speech? Fine. The reason you won't believe in me is because you are not my sheep. You remember in the Feast of Tabernacles, which was just three months before it, but at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus shares what his sheep actually do. And he reminds them of the three things that he already told them. He says, as I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So first, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They know that, that they respond to it. Second, the sheep know the shepherd. They have a relationship with the shepherd. They're committed to the shepherd. And third, the sheep follow the shepherd. Jesus shared that. We looked at that in detail at the beginning of John chapter 10. So if you want to go back, if you missed that, you can listen to that. I won't go into great detail this morning since we already did that. But he's reminding these guys, I've already told you this. But here's the key. Notice that this does not describe the religious leaders. He's saying, hey, my sheep fit under these three things. They do these three things. And so you can know that you're a sheep of mine if you do these three things. But notice that the religious leaders, they don't hear Jesus' voice and respond to it. They don't know Jesus or have a relationship with him, and they surely haven't chosen to follow him. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, you are clearly not my sheep. And that is the reason why you don't believe in me. That's the reason why you won't accept who I am, which is the fact that I am the Messiah. I am God. So Jesus reminds them of these three important things he already told them about the sheep's relationship to the shepherd. But now he's going to go on to share a new thing. And this new thing is about the shepherd's relationship to the sheep. So he said, hey, my sheep do this towards me. But now let me share with you what I, the shepherd, do towards my sheep. And we've already seen many of those things in John chapter 10, but here's a new one. And this is really where I want to focus our attention on this morning, because this is a thing that I hope will give you some greater assurance and confidence in that relationship that you have with God in your eternity with the Lord that he has promised you. Notice what Jesus says in verses 28 through 30. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus starts off here sharing one of the most wonderful things that he, the good shepherd, 
provides for the sheep, that he offers to the sheep, that he gives to the sheep. And notice what it is. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. When Jesus says, I give them eternal life, he's speaking of eternal life with him in heaven. And when he says they shall never perish, he's speaking about never perishing in hell. Jesus is using the same terminology that John uses back in John chapter 3, uh, verse 16, when Jesus and Nicodemus are speaking. Remember John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, speaking of perish forever in hell, but have everlasting life with him in heaven. He's using that same type of terminology, speaking of eternal life in heaven versus eternal damnation in hell. You know, something important to understand is that heaven is the greatest place that there ever will be, that there is. But on the other side of that, hell is the worst place that there ever will be and ever is. You know, heaven's a place where there's no more sin, there's no more sadness, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, there's no more tears. It's a place where You don't suffer the judgment of God. It's a place where you see him face to face and get to deepen your relationship with him for all eternity. It's a place where you're going to get to spend with family and with friends who also have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and will join you in this wonderful place in heaven together where you're not going to have those issues anymore because guess what? There is no more sin and it's just going to be these wonderful relationships We're also told that Jesus has gone away to prepare a home for us. He is making that home for us presently that we are going to be able to dwell in. You know, I think it's a place that's so amazing and wonderful. In many respects, it's beyond our comprehension. There are things about it that we couldn't even just grasp right now. But they're amazing and they're wonderful. So heaven is the greatest place there is, but hell is the worst place there is. It's pretty much the opposite. It's a place full of sadness place full of pain and suffering and tears and torments and worst of all a place where the judgment and wrath of God is poured out on everyone there because of their sin it's a place where you are separated from that relationship with God you know once again this place is just like heaven is so amazing it's kind of beyond our comprehension I think hell is so horrible there are aspects of it that are also beyond our comprehension but you know what it's a place that you and I deserve to go to That's what the Bible makes clear. We deserve the judgment of God because of our sin. You know, that's the destination that if we say, hey, where should we go? That's the one. Where do we deserve to go? It's there. Why? Because we're all sinful people. The fact that we get to go to heaven is the wonderful blessing of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So as Christians, our greatest hope is in this promise of God that, you know what? When you die... You're not going to go spend eternity in hell. You're going to come spend eternity with me in heaven in this glorious place. This is the thing that we should look forward to the most because it's the greatest thing we'll ever experience. It really should be one of the things that we're most grateful for as well. We don't have to go to hell, but we get to go to heaven. The question that we need to ask is, why should we be confident that we will spend eternal life with God in heaven as opposed to eternal life separated from Him in hell? Why should you and I have assurance and security in our eternity in heaven? Well, one of the reasons that we should have that is what Jesus shares with us in these verses here in verse 28 and 29, and they're such encouraging verses. Notice what He says, 
neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. You know, Jesus shares is something so wonderful in these verses. He and his Father, that they, they hold us in their hands. But the great thing that he shares is that no one's greater than them. No one has the capacity to snatch you, to snatch me, those who have placed our trust in Jesus, out of the hands of the Father, out of the hands of the Son. You see, the hands that created the universe are the hands that hold you. They're the hands that are the strongest. There's nothing greater, not Satan, not this world, not anyone in this world. Nothing has the power if they tried to pry the fingers of God open and, and snatch you out of his hand. They couldn't do it. And this is what Jesus is sharing is, hey, God has you. He's holding you. And there's nothing great enough, strong enough, powerful enough, nothing bigger than him that could get you out of his hand. He holds you, and therefore you are secure in him. The strongest hands in the universe are the hands that are holding you. You know, I love that picture because it just makes me think of, you know, parents and especially when your kids are younger and you want to protect your kids and you come to a crosswalk and you're going to go across the street or maybe you're just around some people that you kind of feel like, I don't want my kids there. You grab your kids' hands. You hold on to them. You realize there's dangers of cars coming. And if you're walking across the street, you hold their hands because you know that they're not the brightest when they're little and they might run in front of that car. And so you hold on to them to protect them. You hold on to them to make sure that they're secure from the cars or from other people. Or maybe there's animals running loose and you're not so sure what they're going to do. You grab your kid's hand. You hold on. But the great thing about it is the protection and the security is not based on how strong your kid's hand is. You know, with little kids, they might even barely be able to hold on to your finger. It's not like, don't let go or you're in trouble. It's not that. It's not based on their strength. It's based on yours. I mean, there's sometimes your kids actually try to pull away because they want to go run in the street when they shouldn't. And what do you do? You grab tighter. And guess what? They're not strong enough to get away because your hands are so strong. So it's not based on how hard and how strong they are holding you. It's based on how strong you are in holding them. And I love that picture because that's what Jesus is saying. He's not like, hey, you better hold on. You know, you're in my hand, but it's, you know, you can fall out at any moment. You better hold on tight. No, he's saying, I'm holding on to you. And even if you're weak, and even if you fail, guess what? I got a good grip on you, and I'm not letting go. And there's nothing else that can pull you out. There's nothing strong enough to take you away. I have you in my hands, and they are the strongest hands that there are. You know, something important to understand is that knowing that your eternal future is secure you know, it makes a huge impact on how you live life. When you're constantly fearful of like what my destination may be, you know, is God loving me today? Is he accepting me today? Is he not? When that's the way that you have a relationship with God and function, it definitely negatively impacts the effectiveness that you can have in this life. You, know, you get sidetracked by that. It hinders you from just living freely for the Lord the way he wants you to. You know, I find it interesting when the Golden Great Bridge was first being built, 23 workers fell to their death. And once that happened, they decided, you know what, we're going to erect some huge nets and put them under here so if anyone falls again, they'll fall and they'll land in the net and they won't die. Well, there were people who started falling again, but they landed in the nets and, and no more people died. But the thing that was interesting is that they completed it in record time with record safety. And one of the reasons was because the workers could now concentrate on their job. You know, before they were always concentrating on like, well, if I fall, I'm toast. 
So I don't really focus on my task at hand because I'm so fearful of what might happen if I take a wrong step. Whereas when, hey, if I fall, it's no big deal. I got a net. It'll catch me. I'm good. I can stay focused on my task at hand. And now we finish it in record time and we don't have any more people dying. And I think in the same way, when you realize, hey, you know what? Jesus is there. He's holding on to me. My eternity is secure in him. What he promises, he will deliver. You know, I can be confident in that. It helps us to live for him the way that he wants us to in this life, not being sidetracked by all these different fears that he doesn't want us to have. A family visiting the zoo went to the tiger exhibit. Their young son was sitting in front of the tiger exhibit wanting to get a picture and a video from his dad. And uh, this video will show what happens next. So as you can see, the tiger doesn't realize it's a a protective glass. All he sees is prey. You know, here's this little boy. He turns his back, and the tiger's thinking lunchtime, and he charges that boy, and he's ready to pounce on him, and then boom, he hits that protective glass. He can't get to him. He, He wants to. He's trying to, but that protective glass has kept him from eating this little boy. You know, and I think this is a great analogy for us of realizing, you know what, we, we have a, an enemy. The Bible speaks of him like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We live in a world who wants to try to, you know, destroy our lives. And, you know, that can, we can get caught up in that. But we need to remember, hey, we got the Lord who's our protector. He's that strong tower. The righteous run in. They're safe. You know, the enemy comes and boom, there's that protective glass. You know, we have the strong hands of God holding us. And he's the one who keeps us. He's the one who protects us. And so when the enemy comes and we're afraid, or even when we sin and fail to obey God, we need to remember the cross. Because ultimately it's the cross that enables you and I to be in the hands of God. Those strong hands, and that's only because of the work of Jesus on the cross. It's not just because, hey, we're real fortunate. Well, we are fortunate only because of the cross. You see, Jesus came, lived that perfect life that you and I couldn't, sacrificed himself for our sin, took our sin upon himself, but more importantly, took the judgment and wrath of God on himself so that you and I could be free from that. Because as I mentioned, we deserve hell. We deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus took that on himself so that you and I wouldn't have to. It's all because of the cross and what Jesus did that gives us the ability to say, you know what, we can now be safe in the hands of God. Because we place our faith in Jesus, he says, well now, now you're mine. Now I hold on to you. Now you're my child. Now nobody can get you out of my hand. I mean, imagine if someone was trying to take your kid and you got one arm and they got one arm. How hard would you hold on? I mean, God's holding us and we might have things trying to pull us away, but he's like, nope, you're not getting them. I'm the strongest one here. Nobody's taken these from me. But it all comes back to the cross. It all comes back to what Jesus did. That is where we get this assurance. It's not in my performance. It's not in how many things I do for God or even how many times I fail God. It's all back to Jesus' work for me on the cross. You know, one of my favorite old hymns is titled Blessed Assurance. And I love that title because truly we have a blessed assurance. And the assurance comes because of what Jesus has done for us. And I want to read some of the words of this song because I think they're very powerful. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory, speaking of heaven, divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior and happy and blessed. 
watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. You know, I love songs where the the writer captures things that are just true for all believers. And so that was personal to him. This is my story. This is my song. But the reality is, it's also your story if you place your trust in Jesus. It's my story if I place my trust in Jesus. It's that song that we all can sing, that we have a blessed assurance that Jesus is now ours. We have this foretaste of glory divine. We can be confident that we're going to heaven. We can be confident our sins are forgiven. We can be confident in the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the cross. Because of what He has done. And because we have placed our trust in Him. And what He did for us. Not because we're trusting in ourselves, and our works, and our strength, and our power. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with me. It's all to do with Jesus and what He's accomplished And that we stand before God, we have a relationship with God, we are saved, we are in the hands of God, all based on what Jesus did at the cross. And I like this song that praising our Savior all the day long. When you you recognize the truth of that, when you recognize that the cross has so many amazing blessings for us, Heaven is one of those amazing blessings, but also the fact that now I am secure in the hand of God. But what a wonderful truth that I can hold on to that can help me through the struggles of this life, especially when I fail as we all do, when I sin as we all do, that I know what I am secure in the hands of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth, but it comes back to the cross. It comes back to what Jesus has done, but most importantly, it comes back to the fact that you have to trust in that. You know, the only people that are secure in the hands of Jesus, the only people who have the blessing of eternal life in heaven, the only people whose sins are forgiven are the ones who have made the choice to say, I believe that you were God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you can forgive me of my sins. I believe that you love me. I believe in the promise that you will give me eternal life. Those who have trusted in him are the ones who engage in that and be are blessed by that. But guess what? Like the religious leaders, those who reject him, Those who say, you know what? No, you're not God. You're not the Messiah. You're not the Savior. You can't do this for me. Those who are in that boat, unfortunately, they're headed to the place that they deserve and that you and I deserve, which is hell. They don't have the blessing of heaven. They're not secure in the Father's hands because they have not taken the one thing that gives that security, the one thing that brings that salvation, and that is putting your trust in Jesus Christ, who He is, and the work of that he's done for us. Well, as we do at the first Sunday of every month, we're going to take some time as we want to just praise Jesus for what he's done on the cross. We're going to take time to partake of communion together, a time just to remember what Jesus has done. And these are symbolic as we know that, you know, the the bread represents the body of Jesus. You know, the juice represents the blood of Jesus. But we're looking back, looking back to the cross. And, And as we look back to the cross Not only do I want you to remember what Jesus sacrificed for you, not only do I want you to remember that he took your sin and took the judgment of God, but I want you to look at one of those great benefits. Not just the benefit of eternal life in heaven, but the benefit of the fact that God holds you now in his hand, that you are secure in the strong hand of God. There is nothing that can remove you from that. Let that bring encouragement to you today. Let that just bless you as we take time just to remember this. 
And so I'm going to have the worship team come on up, and as they are playing a song for us, we're going to have the communion elements passed out, and I just want you to hold on to those elements. You know, this is an open communion, meaning that if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you have asked him to forgive you of your sins, I want to encourage you to partake of this. If you've never done that before, you never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you never asked him, you know, to, to come into your life, you know what, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're here today, you've never done that, I'm just going to take a moment and we're just going to pray together and I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want to pray a prayer with you. If you've never made a decision to accept Jesus as God, as your Savior, as the one who died for you, who rose from the dead, I want to, before we even partake of communion, I want to give you that opportunity so you can join us in remembering what Jesus has done. So let's take a moment to pray. And for anyone here who has never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now.